Well, we are starting a new series today out of the book of Philippians. Um, and I'm excited about this one. This one's fun. And I watched a video this week. It just happened to come across. I just stumbled upon this video. and I thought this is a perfect way to encapsulate what Philippians is all about. So watch this video of this little bat boy and this guy, um, baseball player, and their handshake after an important play. It had to have been. He scored. And this is what happens. And I'm thinking to myself, I think this is what it feels like to be on a team with God. And I'm the bat boy. I had nothing to do with the play, right? I'm just, I get to wear a uniform like the big guys. And um, I get to be a part of something here that God is doing special. And at the end of what God does, I get, I get to give him a big handshake and say, yeah, we did it. And I had nothing to do with it, really. It's, it's all God. And I love this because we're getting ready to look at a book where I hope this feeling can come across to you in this as well. Um, a new series, Philippians. It's been called one of the Apostle Paul's most personal letters that he writes. Um, he's, it's probably, I, I'll, I'll guess, maybe, you know, I don't know if Psalms is more, maybe Psalms is, but probably one of the most quoted books in the entire Bible. It's very inspirational, and you'll catch this. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. Be confident of this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion, to the day of Christ Jesus. You've probably heard that. Maybe you've heard this one, chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Or chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Chapter 2, verse 11, um, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, what about 3, verse 7? But whoever was, whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Or chapter 3, verse 13, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. Chapter 4, verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. Chapter 4, verse 13, many of you probably know this one. You know, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Chapter 4, verse 19, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches. It is quoted a lot. Many times when people ask, what's your favorite verse or what's your life verse? You don't go, oh, Exodus, you know, it's, this is great. I love this one. Um, it's a lot of times people will quote one of theirs as something out of Philippians because it's a very inspirational book. Here's the scary part. Whenever you study scripture, you have to understand the context because each one of these verses, if you just pull it out all by itself and try and apply it to your life and say, this is mine and this is, sometimes we can take it and it means something different and we're not understanding it completely. So we have to have this bigger concept of what was Paul actually saying when he wrote this? How do we understand it? So we have to do some background on this book. So before we jump in, here's a few things to help us understand the background to get it. First of all, um, know this, Philippians comes from the name of a city called Philippi. It's in Europe, um, is where this city is at. There, there's a map of it, kind of show you where some of this is at. You can see Italy on this map, maybe the Middle East where this is going. And this is kind of the gateway for the gospel into Europe. And if you're new at reading scripture, if this is like something that you're still understanding in the New Testament, you're trying to read through it and get this, there's a book in there called Ephesians. And Ephesians is written to a church in a town called Ephesus. That's how we get the name of that. There's also a book called Colossians. It's written to a church in a town called Colossae. So Philip, 
Philippians was written to a church in a town called Philippi. And this town was a Roman colony, so it was governed by Rome. Um, I also read in some commentaries this week that there were a lot of Roman soldiers that retired to this colony. This is where they would go to retire. Um, I also saw that they either were mining for gold or there was a lot of gold in this community. So they were wealthy. So get this, some, some Roman soldiers, probably confident guys, right, building their family now, wealthy in this, and they had the support of Rome behind them. Of course they did. They were a wealthy, confident community. Rome wanted to have this as its community. They wanted, but on the flip side of it, very little Jewish influence, very little influence of the Jewish religion leading up to this. So there weren't very many believers here in this community, which makes me think, well, of course Paul wanted to go there. Of course God wanted Paul to go and take the gospel to them. Here's another thing we have to understand. Um, the letter, to me, as I study this and read through this one, I think it's intended to be read from beginning to end. Now, we can't do that every Sunday morning as we're together, so I'm going to encourage you. I would love it if you would do this once a week over the summer. If, if you do it two or three times, maybe four times over the summer, this would be awesome. Read, take some time to read Philippians from beginning to end in one setting. Read it in different versions as you do this, and, and you will grasp something different than if you just read a few verses at a time. Read it from beginning to end. I think you'll get a bigger understanding of what Paul is trying to teach them. Here's another one, and you got to know this as you read it. Paul was in Rome, or in a prison in Rome, when he wrote this letter. And so many times when I read it, I have to stop and remind myself, wait a minute, this dude was sitting in a prison cell when he wrote this letter. Because it's such an inspirational, encouraging book, you forget that he's writing it from prison. And so we got to keep reminding ourselves of this. So here's the story of Philippi. And the Philippian letter. It's a very cool story how God brought Paul to this community. And before you get to Philippians, you actually have to go to Acts. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 16, most of this chapter is about the startup of this church in Philippi. Acts is a book that was written about the journeys of Paul and how Paul traveled around and how he spread the gospel and how he told other people. So we get to this point and God had a plan for Paul. Paul wanted to go one direction and God said, no, I'm going to close some of these doors. I'm going to actually lead you over this way. God still works like that in us, doesn't he? He still does this to us. So if we can get here, um, chapter 16, starting in verse 9, it says this, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, and concluding that God had called him to preach the gospel to them. Here's an exciting thing. It, this wasn't Paul's idea. God was directing his steps here. God was calling him to make this happen. God was a part of this. And Paul just listened and followed. Here was the goal. The goal for God through Paul was to take the gospel to Europe. It hadn't been spread there yet. And Paul was the one who was following the vision that God had given him and saying, we're going to take this message and we're going to go to Europe. Or we're going to spread the... Here's the important piece of this. Philippi, this community, 
was so important. It was like the gateway for them. They had to go through Philippi to get there. So important in this mission. So Paul and his team traveled from Troas, a little island right off um, uh, the southern part of Europe to Neapolis and to a place called Philippi. And when they got there, they wanted to go and pray. So they were looking for a place to go and pray, but there was very little Jewish influence, so there wasn't many people around doing this. And when they found this place to go and pray, they met a woman that was there. Her name was Lydia. And they go to this place, and Lydia is there, but she doesn't, she's a believer in something. She doesn't know quite what yet. And they tell her about Jesus. And when they tell her about Jesus, she, she says, this is exactly what I'm looking for. This is what I've been waiting for. Please tell me more about this. So they told her about Jesus. They converted her to Christ and her belief in him of who to pray for there. And she was the very first convert of Philippi. They went to, back to her house. She was baptized, um, witnessed to her whole family, and her whole, her whole family was saved. Guys, I love this about Crestview as well. Last two Sundays, the last two Sundays, we've had a baptism, and today we have another one. Next hour, we're going to have a baptism. Three Sundays in a row, we're going to have a baptism here at Crestview. I love it. It's so exciting. If you haven't done this yet, and you're thinking, hey, maybe I should get baptized, we've got an opening next week, all right? <laughs> Four in a row, can we do it? Wouldn't that be fun? Four baptisms in a row. I love that we're having three. I'm not going to overlook that. It is so cool. So they go to her house. Paul and his companions, they continue to pray. So this is Paul and Silas is his name. Paul and Silas, they're in this community. They're trying to witness to people. They witness to Lydia, save her whole house. They keep going day after day. They keep going to this place of prayer. And on their journey back and forth, there's this young girl. It tells us in, in Acts chapter 16 is this story. There's this young girl that stands on their path on their way, and she harasses them as they're going. She's a fortune teller. So there's something up in her spirit that gives her this idea that she can tell fortunes and she can tell people's future. And she starts harassing these guys. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to these men. They're going to pray. And every day this is going on. One day, Paul finally gets fed up with it. He says, I can't take this anymore. After she's harassing them on their way, he turns around and he casts the demon out of her. He just looks at her and says, demon be gone, right? Just he casts the demon out of her. This demon flees and she's converted and now is a follower of Christ. Now, you think that's a pretty cool story. Here it gets even better. What happens though, this girl was actually hired by somebody. She was an employee. She was a slave to the slave owners. Her job was to make them money by telling people's fortunes, by telling their future. Well, of course they got upset because she can't tell the future anymore. She can't give them a fortune anymore. And Paul was the one that, that made this happen. So they get upset at Paul and Silas. They arrest them, throw them in prison. Now they're in prison in this little town called Philippi. And instead of getting upset, they start to worship. They start to pray. They start to sing songs in this prison. And God makes this earthquake happen right there at the prison. And the prison doors come open. The prison guard gets so scared because if they escape, it's his head that's on the line. If they escape, he probably dies. That's what happens. A death penalty to prison guards if someone escapes. So he's scared, but they don't leave. They say, hold on, dude. You're going to be all right. In fact, let, let, let us tell you why you're going to be okay. Because we're not going to escape. 
and they win him to Christ as well. They tell him about Jesus. They go back to his place, tell his whole family about Jesus. So his whole family gets baptized. So catch this. This is awesome. This is how the Philippian church got started. A young church made up of a convicted um, religious woman, a converted fortune teller, and a Roman prison guard. Really. I think, that, you know, of all the textbooks that we have about how to really get a church started in a new community, this would not be one we would look at. I heard it this week. Somebody said it this week about the small groups, some of the small groups here at Crestview that we have. If you want to get a part of one, let us know. The small groups that we have, they said, man, the one we started was very eclectic. It was just, there was these people and these people, and then there were us, and none of us seemed to really fit together, and, you know, in life and what we were doing, but it worked. I don't know. And the reason? Because of Jesus. Because we have Jesus in common. When you have Jesus in common, you can make that work. And it's so cool to watch it really happen. And this church at Philippi got started because of this. So so get this. Let's think about it. Paul is sitting in a prison cell. This is about 10 years later when this letter was written. He's thinking back 10 years before when this happened in Acts. Paul remembers how exciting it was when God started this church in Philippi. And they have continued to support him, both spiritually, emotionally, also financially. Remember, they were a wealthy community. They continued to support him financially. They weren't perfect. We're going to learn later in this book. They had leadership issues in their church. Um, We're going to learn about that. But he also knew how important it was how important this community and this church was to get the gospel to Europe. What would you do if you were sitting in a prison? And I believe um, that, that somebody probably showed up with a gift. Hey, Paul, we're here to visit you. Here's a gift from the church at Philippi. What would you do if you continued to get financial support, encouragement, emotional, spiritual from a church that you were so excited about when it got started and you got that gift from them? And you knew that this was part of your big mission. I'd write him a letter. I would sit down and say, thank you for what you've done for me. This is so cool. So brief background on Philippians. Let's jump into it then. Philippians chapter one. If you're not there already, um, turn to that. Philippians chapter one. I'm gonna read the first six verses to you. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that one of the best things we can do when you're not feeling well when you're like discouraged and you need to pick me up is to look at yourselves the way God does. And I believe Paul starts his letter that way. He says, no, wait a minute. Don't look at yourself the way you do. How does God see you? How does God look at you? And let that pick you up. So he starts off this way. He says, we are servants. I love it the way he opens it. He doesn't say, you know, hey, I'm the Apostle Paul. Um, Remember me? I helped start this church. Um, I'm I'm pretty important. I'm a big deal. No. 
He calls himself a servant of all the things he and Timothy, Timothy's probably with him here. Um, he says, we're servants for God. And he directs the attention away from himself and he puts it back on Jesus. He even calls his, his buddy Timothy a servant. The word literally means slave. We're slaves to Jesus. We're bound to him. It signifies bondage. Now, in the Old Testament, it gives us some history on what it means to be a slave. And for one, it means to be, you know, owned by someone else. But there comes a point, and this is in the book of Exodus that you can read through this, that slaves were also freed. And there was a time where they talked about how you as a slave could be freed, but you can also make the choice to continue being a slave for your master. And you could say, oh, okay, I have the choice of freedom, but I don't want to go free. I actually like working for you as my master. Can I continue to do this as a free person? And they've got a whole way of going through that, that you have to appear before judge, but there's a price to be paid for that, that something can happen, that you can make this work. And it's a beautiful picture in the book of Exodus of what we can see even in us. You have freedom. If you choose to, you don't have to be a servant of Christ. You can choose not to be, and you can go on your own way. God gives you that freedom, and he says, if you choose, you can go. But if you want to, if you choose to, you can be a servant of Jesus. And there was a price that was paid for that. It was his son. It was the price of Jesus that was paid for you. And you can say, I want to be a servant of Christ. And you can choose to be a slave for him and to follow him. But we're not just slaves. Catch this as well. He says we're slaves, we're also saints. Now I know some of you, when I talk about this, and I've talked about this in the past different times, you get uncomfortable with this idea that, that we're saints. That I'm calling you a saint, that you might be thinking, I'm a saint. I can't be a saint. A saint is someone who's lived a perfect life, right? Or close to it, um, performed miracles, have been canonized by the church, worthy of that respect. But actually, the Bible talks about you as being a saint, he considers you a saint. When you become a believer, you are one that is set apart, which is who a saint is. You're set apart. You are special in the eyes of God. And it's not because of what you have done. It's because of what Christ has done. And to take that title away from yourself by saying, I'm not worthy, you're saying then what Christ has paid for, his life, what he's done for you, wasn't good enough. Yes, we're a servant, but yes, we are saints. We are holy people. We're holy people who are unholy nonetheless but we've been singled out we've been claimed and we have been called by god for his control for his use to be holy with him but i get this as well he's not just calling you to be a saint so that you're glorified it's because you're in a special place and a special time in your life and in his just like this church was just like the church at Philippi, we are in a unique place and in a unique time for the mission of God and what he's got for us. I think it's true. No matter where you're at, I think we overlook it too often. We write ourselves off and we say, no, I can't be. My life is too boring. Really? Am I really that special? Yes. You are to someone. You are 
are in a unique place and a unique time in your life for someone. What is God going to do with you? He has you right where he needs you to take his message to somebody. It might not be a whole continent like Europe, right? But somebody needs you and somebody's waiting for you. And it might not be today, but God might be building you into something so that someday that is being used. What is he doing for you? This is a perfect opportunity and time for you to continue to grow in him. So I get this as well. He says, we, we also get it. Paul gives it to the church and we get it as well. Grace and peace. He makes it as an offering. Grace and peace to you. Grace is a typical Greek greeting. So he's greeting them as a Greek. He's also greeting them as a Hebrew, which is peace. The peace would be the, the um, equivalent to hello, you know, and we use it even some today, right? Peace, right? It's, it's a greeting. And it's a blessing. He's blessing them through this. And then he gives them joy. We can have joy because of Jesus. He's filled with thankfulness every time, he says, every time he remembers the Philippian church. He's grateful. He's thankful for them. And I believe we should follow this pattern. Whenever you think of someone else in your life, think of their positives. Think of what they've done for you, how they have helped you, what they have done to benefit you. We, we have a tough time with this because we're really, really good at thinking of the negatives. Am I right? If I were to talk to you about your family, about your friends, about your neighbors, about your coworkers, oh yeah, I can list off their negatives. I can list off their weaknesses. Oh yeah, he's weak in this, he's weak in this, he's weak in this. How long you got, right? We can be here all day. Um, what about their positives? Hmm. Let me think about that. What are the positives of the people around you? And Paul is writing this letter, I think, to give us an example of what we should be doing. Whenever you think of someone else, think of their positives. Build that person up in your own mind with that, and that will bring you joy. He talks about this. In fact, many commentators would say that the book of Philippians, the theme is joy. And as much as joy is mentioned, it's mentioned 14 times in this four-chapter book. It's only four chapters long. It's a short book. 14 times he talks about joy. And it's certainly um, a theme that we need to look at as we look at this book. But I would, I would compete with that and say, I'm not sure that it's joy as much as it is Jesus. The theme of Philippians is Jesus. Over and over and over. In fact, Jesus is used 17 times in the first chapter alone. He talks about Jesus. This is the secret behind Paul's joy. He keeps going back to Jesus over and over, and he gives prayers and thanksgivings, and he puts these things together, thanks, thankfulness and prayerfulness, and I watch this. It is cool to see this. His prayer is thankful, and his thankfulness is prayerful. So they build off of each other. They go together. When you're prayerful, you're thankful. When you're thankful, you're prayerful about that. And then having so much of thankfulness and prayerfulness together, his prayers also become joyful. That's where it builds, and that's where that joy comes from, from being thankful, from being prayerful. You mix those together, you're going to find some joy. And it's different than happiness. Remember, he's in prison as he's writing this. Who's happy when they're sitting in prison? It's not the happiness that matters. It's the joy that comes with that. It's not our circumstances that matter. Joy comes from the circumstances through 
Jesus. And that's how we can find our joy. Now, Paul was with them. He partnered with them. They partnered with him physically. And when Paul left, they partnered with him financially. And according to Philippians 4, verse 16, later on in this book, he talks about it. He says, you gave to me over and over and over again when I was in Thessalonica, which is the next town that he went to. And they visited him throughout his mission and his journey. And I love this about Crestview. Man, I've been here about 15 years. And in my 15 years that I've been here, uh, the majority of those years, we have averaged um, at or above 15% in giving. So giving away from what we get. So everything that you give to us as a church, as a body of believers, we in turn support missionaries and we support other people and we give to other things 15% or more all the time. We've done that. In fact, yesterday, um, exciting news. Yesterday, we had the rummage sale here. You, you heard us talk about that for Eli and Margaret Sweeney, some of our missionaries. They're getting ready to go back to Senegal, and we're, we're their home church. So we were excited to help them through this, and we're trying to raise some funds to help them get back over there, plus support them on a regular basis. And yesterday, a lot of you brought all of your um, very important stuff. Um, <laughs> We've got to be respectful, right? You brought us all kinds of stuff, and that stuff brought them $4,000 in one day. It was very cool. That will help them on their journey back, um, and I'm excited about that. Um, We we also, if you notice in your bulletin, we are also doing a trip to Europe. Um, We have some missionaries that we support there, and today, that's not going to happen until October, but if you would be interested in a trip like that, There's a meeting today after our third service that you can be a part and see what it would take to go on this um, missionary trip. But it's not just that, that we support missionaries and we give to that. We give beyond that 15% as well, just to our missions team. Our kids' camps, our little ones that go to camp. We had a day camp yesterday. We got another camp coming up next week for our elementary and younger students. We pay for half the way. As a church, just within our budget, outside of what we do for missions, we pay for half their way to camp so that we don't want any excuse. We don't want anybody saying we can't make it. We want to help kids get to camp. Um, Steve prayed for our junior high CIY. They're leaving um, this morning to go to that, a week-long trip. We give $100 to every student that decides to go. We just take it off the top of their bill and say, okay, it's this less because the church wants to help support. Thousands and thousands of dollars that we give away to help make sure that people know about Jesus. Um, I love the generosity of this church. About a few years ago when we decided to buy some property and relocate, I know it's not quite like Europe, um, but it's the Highway 24 corridor. <laughs> and Walmigo might not be like Europe, but yet this church was so generous during that time period and what happened i love the generosity of what happens here and it happens unknowingly as well not just in financial gifts but support of each other i hear about it all the time meals that are taken to each other when someone's down and out and they just need some encouragement and help we give to each other it's so fun to be a part of a congregation that understands generosity and gives. And if you haven't done it yet, I would encourage you, memorize verse 6. Put it to your memory. Um, verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
The word sure means to be fully persuaded, completely involved. Paul had no doubts that God was finishing what he had started. And look at it. You can watch the progression in this. God begins his work in us. The theological word for that, all right, is justification. If you're wanting something deeper, justification. This is God justifying us in this, and he begins something in us. And we have to remember that God takes the initiative in starting his work. Salvation begins with God. Look at all the conversion stories in this, this little town of Philippi. Lydia, it actually says in Acts first, chapter 16, verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. God does it. it Paul, when he turned to the little girl that was telling fortunes, um, through Paul casting out that demon, God began that work. The jailer, it was their witness to him. He didn't do anything to start it. We don't do that either. Romans 3.11 reminds us that no one seeks God. God is seeking us. God is making us available for him. And he wants to be found by you. He, he is waiting for you to find him. He wants you to do that. And he is taking the initiative Ephesians um, chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and nothing that you have done. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast about it. He begins it in us. He has began something in you. I think you're here today for that reason. And then he continues it. He continues his work in us. The term for this is sanctification. He sanctifies us, and he continues to work in us progressively more and more and more holy. And you need to be on this journey with him. Some of you go faster than others. Some of you are slower than others on this journey. But God is working in you. He is making something happen in you. Romans 5, um, verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because you know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. I don't know what he's doing with you, but you're on a journey with him. Continue the journey. Keep your heart open to some changes that God's doing in you and let him continue to work in you because he will complete it. He finishes what he started. The word for that is glorification. There's theologians out there that refer to this stage as the perseverance of the saints. I look at it a little different. Sometimes I look at it and say, I think it's the perseverance of the Savior. (laughs) Of God, he has, to, he has to have perseverance with me to keep me going in this. Sometimes it's a struggle there, and I'm with you in this. We've got to keep walking this, and someday it will happen. You're thinking, when? When am I ever going to be complete? I'll be dead before that day happens. And the answer to that is exactly. That's when it happens. Your journey will end with him when your journey ends here and you'll be face to face with him. Then you will be complete. Then you will be made perfect. Romans 8 verse 30 reminds us, and those he predestined, he also called. He began something in you, justification. Um, And he also justified you. Those he justified, he also glorified. Don't give up on him. If he began it in you and he's continuing in you, he will bring it to conclusion. And he's not done yet. He's not done with us. He's not done with me. He's not done with you. And together, he's not done with us as a church. And God always begins what he finishes, what he starts. 
So if you're saved, you've been set apart, you are secure. If you feel like you failed and you haven't done enough and somebody has reminded you over and over of your failures, remember, God's not done with you and he looks at you differently. John chapter 10, verse 28, this is Jesus talking. He says, I gave them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them from my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them from my father's hand. Jesus is reminding us that you are his and you are in a process with him. He's not done with you yet. So there's a few takeaways from this. I want you to hear this, a few takeaways. First of all, if you're seeing the weaknesses in someone else, cut them some slack, all right? Maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your friend. They're in a process as well, and maybe they move a little slower than you. Cut them some slack, but keep praying for them. Keep praying that God will continue to work in their heart. He's not finished with them yet either. So cut them some slack. Here's a second one. Cut yourself some slack, all right? I think God's working on you as well. We make mistakes. We all make mistakes. I'm there with you. If you're thinking, I make, I make a lot of mistakes, me too. Me too. Join the crowd. We're all in this together. We're going to make some mistakes. There are still some things that Satan's pushing, pushing hard with me on. It's some of the same stuff I've dealt with my whole life. And maybe you're thinking the same thing. Man, is this ever going to go away? It may not until the day that you're face to face with him. But let him continue to work in you with that. Me, I'm I'm not done yet. And I'm in a unique place in history in my relationship with God. He's got me right where he needs me to continue to use me. You, same thing. God has you right where he wants you and he wants to use you for a big purpose for him. And I believe this, and together as a church, because this letter was written to a church, a church in Philippi. It might look different for us, and we have to understand what he was writing, but I believe if he was writing this letter to Crestview, he might say some of the same things. Crestview, I've got you right where I want you, and I'm gonna do some amazing things with you if you continue to just keep walking with me. I love the way he finishes this part of the passage. He then prays for them. He writes out a prayer for them. And I want to pray this prayer for you. And he says it this way, verses 7 and on. um, Love. To love to them, love for each other. Knowledge and discernment and righteousness. He says it this way. um, Don't worry about me. Now he's sitting in prison, but he says it. Don't worry about me. I'm, I'm going to be good. Keep telling others about Jesus. No matter how it happens, some do it selfishly, some do it, you know, unselfishly, some do it for the right reason. Just do it. Just tell somebody else. Invite somebody here. Bring somebody with you. Tell somebody about Jesus because that's what it's all about. So let's do it, church. Wherever you're at, let's keep going. Let me pray for us so in this. Father, I'm so grateful for this letter that we have this encouragement that Paul wrote this to a church and we can see some similarities in where we're at and who we are. God, I do. I pray for love, your love to us, that even in our mistakes and mistakes we've made, that you continue to love us. I pray for our love for each other as a church, 
that we speak highly of each other, respectful of each other, no matter where we're at and what we do, that we get supportive and we get behind no matter how it's being done. We may not always agree, but God, I pray that, that we can find the knowledge, that we can have discernment, that we can seek righteousness and that you can use us. Not to be selfish, to be unselfish like Paul was as he said, don't worry about me. Let's not worry about us. Let's worry about the knowledge and the news that we have about Jesus and what he can do if we continue to spread that news. How much can Jesus impact the community around us if we press on? Let's just do it. God, I'm grateful for your son and for his message. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.